Christchurch, New Alden, 14th of February 2021. Katie Lofman speaking on Building Back Better in Fellowship. We've been thinking recently about how we can build our church back better after this pandemic ends. And this week I'm going to talk about fellowship. That passage that we heard read from the first letter of John is quite clear about how important it is for Christians to love each other. John equates it with Jesus' love for us, and he even seems to demand the same high standard of love, that we are prepared to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians, just as Jesus did. This, he says, is God's explicit command, and we show our love for God by obeying that command. So here we are in New Malden. We have lots of brothers and sisters in Christ around us. And I wonder if you've ever thought about your attitude to them. Would you be prepared to die for the other members of Christchurch? I have to say, I can hardly imagine a situation where that would be required or even possible. We're so blessed in this country. But I'm sure there are persecuted Christians in some parts of the world who know only too well what that means. But even for us here, it's a way of saying that the most important things in life are our relationships, which is why lockdown is so hard. It's our relationships that suffer. So when we build our church back better, our fellowship with each other needs to be at the heart of that. What can we do to make a start in the right direction? to get our hearts in the right place, as if we were willing to lay down our life for another member of Christchurch. How can we build our church back with better fellowship? Perhaps the first thing we can do is to look at the example of Jesus, as John does. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In what way did Jesus lay down his life for us? Well, the most obvious thing was that he sacrificed his life in order to save us from evil. But before that, he made the sacrifice to become a human being in the first place, like a vast ocean poured into a bottle. He laid down his life as infinite, all-powerful God and took up the life of a humble human being. And he did that so that he could come alongside us, so we could understand him and relate to him. Now both of those things are unique to Jesus, but there's more. Throughout his ministry, he laid aside a quiet life in the family carpentry business in order to demonstrate God's love to ordinary people, suffering people, and sinful and excluded people. He gave his life to serving them and healing them and showing what love looks like, and calling us all to do the same. So John's letter is saying that we should lay down our lives for each other, just as Jesus did. We've heard in recent sermons about some ways our church is doing that, and inspiring us to do more, caring for vulnerable people, spending our white privilege to oppose racism, and being committed to church generally. All these are ways in which we lay down aspects of our own lives 
to make things better for other people, because we love each other. And that's an act of worship of God himself. And as John says in his letter, it's an act of obedience to God's command to love. And this is all an expression not only of our love for God, but our love for each other. It's an expression of fellowship as we share our Christian life with other people. That's one thing that church is for, isn't it? To enable us to live out our faith together. And that fellowship makes us stronger in all sorts of ways. It can be hard to keep faithful when we're by ourselves in lockdown. Some of us meet and pray together over Zoom, and that's brilliant, but I can't wait to meet together again properly. Being in a home group or a prayer group is one way to build fellowship. I really value the chance to read the Bible in my home group and pray for each other. When David and I moved house several years ago, the people in our home group really helped us in so many practical ways. They helped us clear the house and pack and brought us a takeaway on moving day. That kind of practical fellowship, when necessary, comes naturally out of the prayer and listening that a good home group does for each other every week. You don't have to be in a home group to be able to help each other, but that's just one way that we become aware of each other's needs. We haven't seen each other in a while, so when we meet together again we might feel a bit out of touch with some people. How can we get back that closeness that we used to have? How can we develop a closeness that perhaps we never had? John's standard is so high, how can we increase our love for each other? Well, let's see what John can tell us. 1 John 1 verse 7 says that if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. How do we walk in the light? This means living our life in line with God's will. And we can find that light by applying the Bible to our life and by praying about our decisions and our priorities, small ones and big ones. And when we do that, we have fellowship with God. We become closer to him because we're involving him in our life. We become more aware of his love for us and our love for him grows. It deepens our relationship with God and our fellowship with him. And that's important because John also writes in chapter 5 that the reason we love God and the reason we love each other is because God first loved us. When we realise how much God loves us, we also realise that he loves other people as well. And it becomes a natural consequence to pass that love on to other people and to be in fellowship with them. So our fellowship with each other comes from our closeness to God. So the first thing we can do to build back better is to develop our relationship with God so that when we do come together, we will have a ready closeness with each other. John then goes on to make an interesting point. He links fellowship with each other with forgiveness. Chapter 1 verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. I think this might be because when we're in fellowship with other Christians, 
we're more likely to be honest with ourselves about our mistakes and wrongdoing. When we're together and talking together, we can more easily see our shortcomings. If we keep ourselves isolated, it can be too easy to think that we're always right or that we never do anything wrong. But John says when we do that, we deceive ourselves. I always enjoy discussing ideas with other Christians because their views help me to develop my own opinion and my attitudes in a good way. It can help me to recognise areas where I need to change, perhaps to become more loving by being more inclusive or more caring in my thinking. On the other hand, sometimes it can make me realise that I've opened my big mouth and put my foot in it. I need to ask God to forgive me. This means that when we're in fellowship with each other, it's much easier to recognise when we go wrong and to bring that to God. Fellowship is really important because it helps us to find forgiveness. And it works the other way too, doesn't it? Fellowship helps us not to sin in the first place. Either explicitly or subconsciously, we keep each other on the right path. Other people keep us accountable because we want to be good people. The Bible knows that's hard for us to do. Hebrews puts it like this in chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. This recognises how important meeting together is for encouraging each other to do good. We can't meet in person at the moment, but we can still spur each other on by a phone call or in a Zoom home group or a little card. One of our relations sent David and me a card recently saying how much she missed us, but also saying what she liked about us. This was so encouraging and it spurred us on to keep being the people she described. When people from Christchurch send me an encouraging email about my sermon or the online service, that encourages me and spurs me on, as Hebrews describes. It also increases my fellowship, not only with that individual person who's written, but somehow with the whole church. Those little acts of fellowship draw us all together. We need to be on the lookout for fellowship with everyone. Some people are easy to overlook, perhaps because their circumstances marginalise them from the rest of church. Maybe there's a language barrier, or maybe they're a different race. Maybe they're from a different sector of society in some way. When we see those barriers, we have to take extra care to build the same fellowship despite those differences. That's how we become an inclusive and loving church. 1 John 3 verse 18 says, Let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Acts of fellowship make us stronger in love. They make us a more loving church and make each of us more loving as individuals. But that verse says not only that fellowship comes from actions, but that it comes from truth. If you think about it, that makes sense, because how can you be in fellowship with someone who's not being honest. Here's a story from Instagram by Michelle Sahin, founder of Privilege to Progress. 
Yesterday, a friend of mine asked me how I was doing. I could have been honest or default to my cultural conditioning. Don't show emotion. Don't discuss personal life. I chose the latter and I told her I was fine, even though I know that suppressing your emotions is too heavy and a definite way to have a breakdown. Why do we lie? Do we feel safe with the people in our lives? Do we have the courage to be vulnerable again and again, even after we're rejected? I asked myself these questions and decided to be vulnerable. I went back and told this new friend that I lied and I wasn't totally fine. She immediately responded that I needed to call her so we could chat. We were on the phone for two and a half hours. She listened to every word, every emotional pain, every story I've been obsessing over in my mind for the last three months. Even though my problems weren't solved in those two and a half hours, my arms physically felt lighter and I was smiling when I hung up the phone. Being vulnerable is so much stronger than hiding your emotions. Regardless of how long you've known a person, you have to get vulnerable if you want to know who you can trust and who really wants to see you win. And Michelle ends by saying this, If you've been struggling with anything, find the courage to reach out to a friend today. And I'd like to echo that, whether you've been struggling or not, Find the courage to open up to someone from Christchurch today. Let's make sure that when we ask someone, how are you doing, that we're ready to be there to listen. And when we are asked that question, let's be honest enough to tell the truth. As Michelle puts it, we want to see each other win. Can we make our church a place where we always have time to listen? And we always have the courage to open up. But that doesn't come from nowhere. We can prepare ourselves by nurturing love for each other in our hearts because we're all, first of all, loved by God. And that makes each one of us precious. When we see each other like that, we'll be open to each other, willing to listen, willing to be honest and ready to grow in fellowship. And finally, I just want to point out a warning that John gives. In the last bit of our reading, 1 John 3 verse 22, it says that we receive from God anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. John spends five chapters telling us that God's command is that we love each other. And here he links that with answered prayer. One reason for that is that if we love our fellow Christians, we'll have their best interests at heart. So when we pray for them, we're more likely to ask something for them that God wants to give. We can ask God for discernment for other people, that he'll show us what to pray for them. Even if we don't know someone very well, we can still pray for them. We can pray that they will know God's love for them. And perhaps that will be through us. But the warning is that we can't expect God to answer our prayers if we don't do the things he asks us to do. How can we want God to do what we want when we don't do what God wants? The letter of 1 John makes it very clear that God wants us to love other people 
And when we do that properly, God notices and he listens to us. If on occasion we feel that God doesn't answer our prayers, perhaps this is something we should consider. Have we been keeping this command to love each other with actions and in truth? So when we come back to church after lockdown, I'd love to see us build back better in deeper fellowship, not only with each other, but with God. And when we do that with our actions and with truth, then God is alive in us and expressing himself through our church and his love grows in our heart.